to Batarang, the podcast where we bring you the Batman insights that others are too superstitious and cowardly to deliver. We're reviewing Batman the Animated Series one episode at a time. This week, Scarecrow's first appearance, Batman gets hopped up on wacky gas and yells at a skeleton. That's right, it's episode three, Nothing to Fear. Plus, we'll do a deep dive on Batman's origin story here on Batarang. And then I guess like a whooshy sound for, for a battering. Whoosh, 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 whoosh. All right, the whooshing stopped. We are back. All right, we are back. Uh, so this week we are reviewing episode three, Nothing to Fear. I am Sam, your host. Your other host is Brandon, the expert on all things Batman. Well, it, at least 85%. Well, there's a lot to know about there's Batman, so knowing 85% is knowing a shitload. So true. <laughs> All right, so we want to start by doing our 22-second synopsis of the 22-minute episode. Uh, let me get my—you're going to time me first? Yeah, I'll, I'll go for it. Uh, okay, so let me get the timer out then. So are you going to time me or am I going to time you? I can, I can time you uh, so that you can focus— so much. Okay, I'm focusing. Just tell me when to go. And Mark. In, <laughs> in Scarecrow's first TAS appearance, he uses fear toxin to terrorize his alma mater. Batman gets hit by the toxin and hallucinates his disapproving father. Batman tracks Scarecrow to Crane Chemical and powers through his fear to defeat Scarecrow, uttering an iconic TAS line. Excellent, coming in at, at 21 and one half seconds. Damn, nailed it, even with yeah. the giggle at the start. Yeah. <laughs> Just not, not fair of me, but I'm not <laughs> sorry. All right. Uh, are you ready to do yours? Sure. On your mark, get set, go. So Gotham U is just generally in trouble. Uh, this professor is really mean to Bruce Wayne about it, and that's when Scarecrow attacks. Um, Batman pursues him. There's an action set piece in a vault uh, where I guess Scarecrow is torching the university's money. Anyway, detective work, action set piece on a blimp. Time. That's pretty much all of it. <laughs> uh, Just well, blimp things. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into the rest. Yeah. I do like the reappearance of the Zeppelin. Oh, yeah. I guess yeah. it's not a reappearance because it's not the same Zeppelin, but they're just like Zeppelins up the, up the wazoo on this show. Just one Zeppelin with many gondolas. That's... <laughs> that was the playset they sold. The Zeppelin playset with the many switch-out gondolas. <laughs> that would have been so cool. That would have been awesome. <laughs> I would have bought that. Yeah. <laughs> Much better than the... Um, they had the like fold-out Wayne Manor... Batcave, mm-hmm. but they just kept reissuing it in different colors. Mm. Um, so I had the Batman Forever one, but I sorry, I seen others <laughs> later, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. Uh, also important to note: the Zeppelin that they sell does not come with Batman. Right. Does not come with any characters. It's just a Zeppelin, and yeah. you can buy replacement gondolas for it. That's it. Each one sold separately. Um, so. 
I do like how yours had detail in it compared to mine. That was the broad strokes because uh, I watched this like two and a half or three weeks ago. Yeah. So I'm a little foggy in some of these details. So it was good to, to get some of it uh, back. Yeah, I kind of buzzed through it again on, on HBO Max this morning just to like go over my notes again because I was I was looking over them like okay well I don't remember what this means from from my own notes how does the how does the HBO Max version look compared to the Blu-ray version because I know you normally watch on the Blu-rays I think the Blu-rays the colors pop a bit better um and as an app HBO Max kind of sucks um sometimes uh when if you pause if you have the audacity to pause uh the app crashes um I had trouble with like it loading this morning, but that might be the inclement weather or whatever else. Um, so yeah, I just generally prefer Blu-rays for the stability of them. And I mean, we don't have to get into like the politics of streaming media in general. Yeah. Uh, I watch on HBO Max uh, pretty much exclusively. Mm. I have bad things and good things to say about HBO Max, but if you want me to say good things about it, then HBO Max needs to sponsor us. Has to pay. <laughs> yeah. And uh, for a little extra, for a little extra scratch, we, we'll dig into how how bad Disney Plus's UI is. Yes. Just, uh, Mm, a hit piece on Disney Plus. <laughs> That's why you come to us on Battering. <laughs> Petty bullshit. <laughs> um, so uh, this was, I thought, a good episode. Yeah. Uh, maybe. Um, so it's not as good as I remember it being when I watched it originally. Yeah. Uh, and there, I found a lot to like it, but a lot to dislike in it. Uh, but why don't we get into kind of what we did like about it? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that. Something like as a first scarecrow story, I think it works pretty well. Um, for a little context, right? Like the idea of um, of a professor being discredited and getting, you know, angry about that, and, and sort of launching a multi-stage revenge against a university. I'm like, yeah, that, that makes sense. That's realistic. Um, <laughs> We're both uh, university professors. <laughs> wah, wah. Um, which is usually a pretty good gig. And But, like, seeing someone, you know, inflict just needless uh, fear. Like, let's be clear. Like, Professor Crane's... Um, I don't understand what data he's really gathering. Like, his process is very sloppy. He seems to be mostly chuckling at people that are losing their minds with fear. <laughs> right. And it, there, there's no way this passed IRB. No! Absolutely no way. It was completely unethical. I mean, okay, so he gets into his own backstory. So I know we're jumping ahead a little bit, but something I want to draw out is, do you buy it that he was the head of the psychology department? Why would he lie about that? Like, I wouldn't make him the head of the psychology department, but, like, this is Gotham. Okay, yeah, that's a fair point. Why, you don't think, you think he was uh, lying about his credentials? I mean, on the one hand, I don't understand why anyone, yeah, would put him in charge of anything, literally ever. But on the other, I'm wondering if it's not just that it was something that was more of an administrative position, so it was really just a punishment. Oh, could be. Yeah. That's not coming from experience, is it? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Absolutely not. So... Like, love that. I love that um, it... So I, I mentioned that um, that other Gotham U professor being really mean to Bruce Wayne and saying that he was glad Bruce's father died before he saw what his son became. That was harsh. It was real harsh. But I think this might be the first episode that really digs into, like, setting up um, a thematic arc of, like, 
and it gets paid off in Act 3 of of Batman saying, like, no, like, me being Batman is about conquering my fear. And you suck, Scarecrow, and this is how I make meaning out of my life. Um, I think, like, that's really, like, advanced good writing, especially, like, especially for a children's show, um, for, like, this seed to be planted of, hey, your life is worthless, Bruce, and then him paying it off later with, like, well, no, I'm, I'm Batman, that's actually... I save lives and stuff. It's pretty great. Yeah, I agree. I thought that was paid off really well in this. Uh, and there's another theme that I like that is in this and also other episodes of Batman the Animated Series and also Batman generally, mm. where like the kind of um, ridiculous version of Bruce Wayne that he puts on to throw people off the case that he's Batman right. is a kind of chain that he wears in his like life in his social life and like he sacrifices some respect mm. from uh, his peers and from other people and he never you know he, you can tell that it, that hurts him but he never complains and he never like second guesses the fact that he's doing it right yeah yeah it's something that i think would could be played with in even more fun ways in other batman stories and this doesn't this doesn't show up a lot necessarily, but the idea of like he could enjoy being Bruce Wayne and like treat Batman as being a bit more of a of a part, um, which not with Bruce, but other stories have kind of explored that with with the Batman idea. Um, I was thinking this morning since we were talking about like the Batman origin story, you know Scott Snyder's comics um, and how he really digs into like well okay who's Bruce Wayne. Um, and I think he's one of the more successful writers at doing that. Um, but all that said, yeah, it it opens up with this moment. And then, of course, like that professor who is so, <laughs> so shitty to poor Bruce, um, who has that little pout in the elevator. Um, then, of course, like Scarecrow attacks and what do you know? He needs Batman. Hmm. <clears throat> Everyone hates the cops until their house gets robbed. <laughs> And then they show up and shoot your dog. No! <laughs> uh, so, uh, this is the third episode. This yep. show... So we're going to talk about Batman's origin story in more detail a little bit later in the, yep. in the pod, but um, this is the third episode. They never actually say this is Batman's origin story like you do at the beginning of Batman Begins or Batman 89. Right. They just jump right in. You know the characters. Here we go. And this is, I think, another instance of Batman 89 doing the work. Yeah. Uh, which we talk about frequently. Like, a lot of the backstory stuff and setting up characters, um, since Batman 89 literally just came out before this came out, right. they can trust that everybody kind of knows knows the strokes. But this episode does shine a spotlight on Batman's origin story because it's brought up in multiple different ways. And the first time is that scene in the elevator with Dr. Lang getting that cheap shot in right. on Bruce. Uh, but then it comes up kind of a few a few other places as well. Um, but then after that happens, we do get the, the fear gas attack, mm -hmm. which in my opinion is not that strong. Mm. The kind of the effects of it when it hits the, the guards 
is kind of um, kind of kid glovey, right? And like for a show that like plays pretty seriously and is not afraid to like challenge the viewer with more deep thematic stuff, I thought that they could have gone a little further with the fear guess. I don't know if that's a standards and practice thing or what. That's absolutely my guess, um, <clears throat> and I think that this is maybe the first episode that really butts up against S and P in a big way. Um, because yeah, like you have that guy reading, uh, the security guard reading the tiny teens comic. Yes. That was a detail that I really loved. Yeah. Um, and, and I read some of those as a kid and I remember enjoying them at least as a kid. Um, and on oh, the super Nintendo game for tiny teens slapped. That was so good. Uh, anyway. Um, and like, he's just like covered in spiders, mm-hmm. right? Like it doesn't jump to like you know, anything like his kids being dead or whatever. I'm like, this guy is a pretty good gig, actually. Like, he, like, his job is, like, reading comic books, and the thing he's most afraid of is spiders. He might, up until this point, be the happiest man in Gotham. (laughs) Yeah, he does have a pretty plum gig. Yeah. Um, But maybe that does a good job setting up the dynamic of when Batman gets gassed, his father shows up and says, hey, you, you're a disappointment, right? So I have a question about that. Yeah. Do you think that that is his subconscious fear, or do you think it was just primed by Dr. Lang, and that's why that particular kind of anti-fantasy like comes about mm. in his head? I think that's a really good question, and my guess would be um, if it wasn't there at all, like what Dr. Lang said wouldn't have bothered him. Yeah. Like, they ha- they do have that beat, like I mentioned, of him, like, after Dr. Lang and um, Gotham's only journalist, Summer Gleason, uh, <laughs> leaving the elevator. And, like, Bruce looks real sad. He does. I mean, there's I guess there's two reactions to that. One is, like, fuck you, buddy, you don't know me. Right. Right? Uh, and the other one is how he did react, which is, like, God, like, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> oh, maybe becoming a... And a ninja and punching muggers in the head wasn't the best use of my time and money, <laughs> um, which is wrong. Yeah. Uh, but uh, soon after that, he we get a scene in the Batcave. Yep. And I think there's two interesting things in the Batcave. One is he's then watching Summer Gleason on TV. Mm-hmm. And this is when we start seeing the fear gas affect him. And I thought this was much more effective than what happened in the uh in the the vault scene or whatever which we should unpack a little bit like i want to loop honestly the only thing i wanted to say about the vault scene um we'll we'll save it for our how many people would have died this episode so yeah he starts hallucinating while watching tv we get our first instance of bat stubble which is how you know bruce is in a bad way uh, <laughs> uh, i forget is he also drinking bat coffee in that scene uh i'm I mean, I have mine, so I'm going to project and say yes. But yeah, he's watching Summer Gleason report on the Scarecrow attack, and he says, she says that Batman showed up but failed to catch the perpetrators. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when she says that, she kind of, like, looks dead at Bruce Wayne, and, like, it becomes, like, pretty creepy, actually. Yeah. Like, it's funny that, like... A news reporter breaking the fourth wall is scarier than spider attacks or whatever, but it is. Yeah. Which 
it's really funny, right? Because, like, fourth wall breaks that are for comedy, like, we always, like, people always love. But then, like, something similar happens in, say, Silent Hill 2, right? Where a voice on the radio talks to the player character directly, and that's spooky. Or the same thing shows up in um, the American Gods TV series. And I, I don't know why, like, that's a really good point, that the fictional character we're projecting ourselves onto, them getting spoken to directly, is so unsettling. It is. I think so. I mean, when you're in the situations that these characters are normally in, right, you're alone. Right. And when you're alone, there's a certain sense of security that comes from that. You don't have to put on any mask, right? Right. You're, uh, you're yourself. You are being watched. You can do whatever you want feel comfortable in your own skin and then I think when that's shattered yeah but I think that's the unsettling thing that's a that's yeah so Bruce has a has a bad evening <laughs> he does have a bad evening but Bruce uh, sorry Alfred gives him a heart to heart which is actually very sweet uh, and I thought it was a nice moment yeah even though it's funny because um the showrunners had said that this first voice of Alfred um, the actor who ended up departing, um, not like, like he got a, an acting gig somewhere else. Like he did. The Departed. <laughs> oh God. It's a rat. Get it? Um, <laughs> wait, is it, is the rat Mickey Mouse now? Um, so I was thinking Ralph Wiggum. Okay. Uh, but you know, yes, it is. Disney's The Departed. Um. Snitches get stitches. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Um. Oh no, it's Mark Wahlberg. Uh, so, yeah, like the showrunners had mentioned that this actor for Alfred was a little more distant, but yeah, you're you're right. Like he he opens the scene by making fun of Bruce a little bit and being like, "Oh, some madman in a costume scaring people," and then yeah, it's like, actually, I'm your father. I think you're doing a okay. Um, long and short of it. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh. So, let's see. What else? Um, what happens after that? We uh, get a scene at the Scarecrow's perspective, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. He's... Basically, he pontificates at, at his goons, right? Like, he, you know, is fresh off this semi-victory... This victory over, like, Batman and Gotham University, right? Um, I forget. Is this before or after when... When Batman did, like, throw the bolo and tie Scarecrow up, and then that lady attacked Batman with her purse. Uh, after? Okay, yeah. I just wanted to mention that because she hits him a couple times. There's some good sound effects there, so it has some weight to it. But Batman pretty much looks almost directly at camera with, like, this, like, <laughs> utterly put-upon expression. <laughs> um, and then he gets dogpiled by people in, in f- formal evening wear. But anyway, yeah, so pretty much uh, Scarecrow's goons are like, why are we doing this? Why do you hate the university so much? And yeah, we get into his, like, I was a bad scientist and they kicked me out. So you mentioned before um, that you don't buy him as the the head of psychology. Yeah. And I'm maybe coming around to that because he not only is the head of the psychology department, or so he says, but he also is a chemist yeah, and a good enough chemist to start his own company that has assets where he produces chemicals. So 
Is he a chemist or is he a psychologist? Because those are very different. They are very different. Like, if he said he were, was a psychiatrist, and granted, like, I've worked on, like, film shoots or student film shoots where, like, someone has said to a psychiatrist, like, oh, are you going to give, like, prescribe me with something? And then that character says, I'm not that kind of doctor. And I'm like, yes, you are. <laughs> That's what a psychiatrist <laughs> does. They're also an MD. Um, so... It's just, it's that sort of thing that shows up, I think, especially in comic book fiction, where if someone is a sciencey person, they kind of have, like, they aren't nearly as specialized as real-life sciences, right? Sort of like how in Marvel, Iron Man can do pretty much anything related to engineering, mm -hmm. right? Physics, metallurgy, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So that that would be my thing, is, like, anything that involves the brain, Scarecrow can do, because... Superpowers. Right, that's the super science. Right. Um, so the kind of third act of this all happens on a Zeppelin. Yep. A Zeppelin that I believe the Scarecrow filled up with fear gas. <clears throat> that sounds right. Yeah. Because there was like a hose coming off with green gas coming out. Yeah. So sometimes the fear gas is lighter than air enough to lift a Zeppelin, but other times it fills a room and it seems to hover on the floor. It depends on how many people are afraid in proximity to the gas. Ah. It responds to that. It's like the, the goo in Ghostbusters 2. That makes sense. Yeah, sure it does. Thanks. Thanks for yes ending me on that. It, it makes no sense. No, it doesn't. No. Um, but, yeah, the, the last act does happen on this Zeppelin, which Batman is kind of like hanging from a mm -hmm. rope uh, for a lot of it. But he has a combat scene against the Scarecrow's goons yes. on the top of the Zeppelin, which sounds really cool and kind of is, except a, a hatch opens in the envelope right. of the Zeppelin that the, that the men climb out of to fight Batman, Yeah, which is pretty strange to me. I mean... Look, everything I know about, like, how Zeppelins work is from that, like, one episode of Archer where they're on one and they go in the the envelope. So, I don't know. I'm... Which, I mean, the funny thing about that, right, to your point, is they could have just climbed a ladder along the outside or something. But, um... I know, and this is going to be a bastard in editing, but I did want to loop back around to when Scarecrow talks about his origin. Oh, sure. Goons. Yeah, yeah. Um, I wanted to, to let everyone at home know that, so like, as I mentioned before, a lot of, uh, a lot of Batman villains are just the writers taking, like the early writers, like Bill Finger, um, taking literary characters and just like tussling their hair a little and then throwing them into an urban environment, right? So I would, I don't have this confirmed, but I would bet anything that someone said, oh, what if Ichabod Crane was the scary one? Like, what if he was, like, the Headless Horseman as well as being, like, the schoolmaster? Well, his name is Crane. Exactly. Um, so that's kind of conjecture on my part, but I don't know. I'm, I'm, the, I'm here as the expert. You can quote me on this. Um, <laughs> just get called out later. I won't accept any responsibility for that. Well, I mean, there's certainly... It's not a coincidence that his name is Crane. Right. It's not a coincidence that he resembles the Ichabod Crane from the Legend of Sleepy Hollow cartoon. Right. He has some pumpkin stuff going on. Um, yeah, absolutely. And 
So in his first, like, comic book appearance, which I think was in, like, the 40s or 50s, right? So we're in this sort of, like, weird in-between place where some Batman stuff is, like, um, some Batman stuff is, like, very pulpy, and then some of it is very, like, sci-fi, and eventually it would get more sci-fi. Scarecrow's thing is that he he was a professor, same thing, uh, but he spent all his money on books... So he dressed shabbily, and his colleagues made fun of him. So he got angry about that, and then became um, basically an enforcer for hire. Like, he became hired muscle. Um, But the fear gas wasn't even a thing. He just had a scary costume and would threaten people with a gun. (laughs) (laughs) So so he he was a disgruntled employee. Right, that's... And that was his entire character, like, just a disgruntled employee in burlap. Like, that's it. Um, And it's not, it's not like the idea of um, someone with, like, a gas gun was something that hadn't popped up even in DC Comics before, right? Like, the hero, the Sandman, that was his thing. He had a gun that fired sleepy sand at you. That was it. Um, I'm rewatching Venture Brothers right now. Uh, actually, I'm watching the last season, which I missed the first time. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's some great stuff with the gas gun in that, with it, because <laughs> uh, I think Jonas Venture Jr. invented something called God Gas. Okay. <laughs> oh boy! Uh, and then uh, uh, Rusty puts it in a gun uh, and tries. To, uh, forget it. Yeah, it's Watch Venture Brothers is good. Yeah. Um. So yeah, they. They do the shenanigans on the Zeppelin, and and that's pretty much like, oh, you're getting to um, Batman hallucinates a skeleton that tells him that he's, you know, mediocre. That's right. Yeah. So it's this uh, kind of this, the iconic scene from this episode, maybe one of the top memorable ones from mm-hmm. all the series. Uh, but Batman is kind of hanging from a rope because he's been knocked off by, by the bad guys, and... He sees his father's ghost, basically, uh, who, you know, tells him that he's a failure and that he fucked up. And then he becomes a skeleton to make it scarier. Right. Uh, Which is not like a scary, scary skeleton. It's like a cartoony skeleton. Yeah. But still, like, that's pretty hardcore, uh, you know, having your dead father's skeleton berate you. (laughs) Um, And that's the time where Batman has to, like, power through it and kind of assert his self-worth. Right. Uh, and he says the iconic line, I am vengeance, I am the knight, I am Batman. Kevin Conroy does a great reading of that. Any Anyone else or any lesser line reading, just... I can... I was thinking about that this morning, re-watching it was... Um, that, that bumps up right against being just the stupidest sounding... Like, if he didn't infuse that with so much pathos, like... That is prime, like, comic booky, superhero-y stuff. And, yeah, it needed someone with, like, Kevin Conroy's gravitas to pull it off. Yep. Um, yeah. And as a kid watching it, I was like, holy shit, that was awesome. Right. Batman rules. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, as an adult, it's still good, but I think that it is too good maybe for the episode it was in. Because the, the moment. Because the Scarecrow is... In this episode, anyway, it's just not that cool of a bad guy. Yeah, especially not yet. Like, he really comes into his own in some of the later episodes, especially, I think he's the character who maybe benefited most from the redesign for season three. Um, but, you know, we'll we'll get to that much later. 
Um, so yeah, just to kind of like wrap up the episode, because of course Batman climbs back in in the Zeppelin and you know punches some dudes in the face and calls it a day. Mm-hmm. Um, so which does remind oh and then you know throw a scarecrow in Arkham like cool. <laughs> um, so I want to get into our segment of how many people would have died in this episode, right? <laughs> our, our bat body count. So before we do that, okay. there was two other little things I wanted to mention. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one is uh, the tag at the end, because mm-hmm. at the, after there's a maybe 15-second bit at the end where Bruce goes to the graveyard and visits his parents' gravesite and puts flowers on it. Right. Uh, which kind of puts an end... Uh, puts a bow on the episode, which I thought was really nice and pretty powerful. And then his shadow has the the bat suit silhouette, which is one of those things that like they constantly do in in comics, and I think it works really well in comics and animation. And it's one of the reasons why a character like this thrives the way you know these characters thrive the way they do in drawn media, as opposed to like that would look so stupid in live action. Yeah. Um, but you because it's so stylized, it works right. Uh, and the other thing I wanted to mention is I believe it's Bullock has a scene with Batman and Commissioner Gordon. Yes. And uh, it's always good when Bullock is there because he's a good foil um, and he's you know loud and obnoxious. But right. when kind of Batman is trying to make his case to the commissioner, uh, Bullock says, you're going to listen to Zorro here? Yep. Which is a good call to the... Uh, one of the, one of the most common versions of the origin story. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, and Bullock points out to the commissioner that Batman is withholding evidence. He is obstructing justice. He is committing like a handful of felonies, right? And he's not wrong, right? Um, but the thing that the show does, right, and one of the problems with like you know making sure everyone survives or you know. Any, any given fall from Zeppelin um, or whatever else, right, is that it it kind of uncomplicates it, right? Like, this is one of those things where if this had been, like, if this got released on HBO Max now, mm-hmm. right, like, a few more people would die. Um, you would see a bit more of, like, again, Bullock's not wrong, but because Batman gets results, like, that sort of flattens that conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, which isn't necessarily a problem for storytelling. Like, it's a 22-minute episode, whatever. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think another reason that it's so acceptable to the viewer is that this story isn't a story about bringing a criminal to justice. Mm-hmm. It's a story about Batman's like character arc, right? Yeah, that and the cops are not really equipped for gas that makes you crazy. No. Yeah. Right. So great. Uh, so let's get into how many people would have died. Yes. To Batman's body count. Okay. Uh, the thing that bothers me most in this episode is um, rather than like stealing all the um, stealing all the university's money out of their private bank vault or whatever it is. Um, Scarecrow's idea is to basically do the uh, the Goldfinger thing of just like torching it, right? Just making the money unusable. Um, so he's splashing a single can of gasoline around this room, um, and then in, in menacing Batman, he pops a flare. They would all be dead. <laughs> like that. It's the point is is a sealed room. 
right? As we all know, like it is not like it is not the liquid gasoline that does it. It's the fumes that combust. Like they all would have gone up. Like there's there's what five, four or five right there. Man, now I wish they had done that because that would have been a good scene, and Batman could have saved them from that too. <clears throat> yeah, but instead, <laughs> instead he just kind of staggers out. Um, there's a much better vault, like locked room puzzle thing in a in a few episodes. Um, then what later you have one of the um, one of the goons, uh, the more redheaded goon falls off the zeppelin and you get this single shot of him landing on like a hotel awning <laughs> and trampolines and you're like okay well that's some very like tiny tune adventures sort of of stuff but the one i really like is um the other the other henchman right he gets fear gassed he starts hallucinating a cell closing in on him like that's that's easily like the most interesting like support like secondary or you know fear gas example yeah fear gas of not batman right um and then he just jumps out of the gondola but don't worry he lands on a rooftop bonsai tree (laughs) famously the softest and most supple of all trees (laughs) so he's dead (laughs) so the body count is everyone basically basically yeah yeah I want to get into the interview section of this where I asked Brandon to tell us all about Batman's origin story. Right. Which has been a thread throughout this entire episode and pretty oh. interesting. We, we have Pod Dog with us. Um, it's storming here, so any tippy tappies, that's, that's him being comforted by us. Bonus clip, clip, clips. Yep. Uh, so, I guess the, the first question to start us off is. Did Batman ever have a different origin story than the one we kind of know now? Yeah, so, you know, as as savvy listeners might be aware, um, <clears throat> the origin story for these characters, like, a lot, especially the DC characters, are more or less set. Like, there's always the skeleton there of, you know, doomed planet of Krypton, gets rocketed to Earth. Cool. Um, you know, uh, born on the Amazon warrior island of Themyscira, comes to the world of man as an ambassador of justice and uh, stabbing dudes who get out of pocket, right? And broadly speaking, uh, Batman's story has not changed, right? Rich kid, parents get gunned down in an alley. Um, He's real upset about it. (laughs) Um, He then does some combination of boxing, uh, forensics, and ninja training for a decade or so, and then comes back. but I think what the question itself alludes to, right, is like how the how the details morphed in different tellings, right? I think that when you look at something like um, Superman's origin, right, the changes that made it were just sort of updates, right? That just made the story better, um, or at least make more sense. So stuff like um, Sweetie. So as a for instance. Um, you're here. Blank space for editing. So, for instance, in, say, the radio show for Superman, Krypton is just full of super people. Superman comes to Earth, he's still a super person. Awesome, right? And then over time, that changes to 
Like, well, why are Kryptonians Earthling ask? They aren't. It's a birthing matrix and it adapt like it imprinted on Kal-El what humans are like and that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, that kind of broad brushstroke of Bruce and his parents are at the theater, they leave, uh, they get shot, you know, Bob's your uncle, Bat's your hero. Um, but since you mentioned the Zorro call-out, right, most versions of the story, especially um, like the Frank Miller stories of the 80s, right, uh, the Waynes went on Bruce's birthday. <laughs> Yeesh. <laughs> yeah. To uh, see um, The Mark of Zorro starring Tyrone Power. Um, and, and that's sort of what gave rise to him, you know, um, saying like, oh, well, I'll be a masked vigilante like, like Zorro, right? Um, so that's the usual thing. There have been like, you know, little nudges depending on like Batman 89, which would have been most present in, in most people's minds of, you know, it's like they went to see a movie. I don't remember if there's a marquee that you see in Batman 89. Um, because that's the thing, is that movie opens on a family leaving the theater, so it's kind of doing a bait and switch. I, I think it's Mark of Zorro. Yeah. Um, but it's the Joker who ends up killing um, the Waynes, which I think is a little too pat, mm-hmm. right? Like, usually the name given to the thug who does it is Joe Chill, um, which is gloriously dumb. Um, and I love the idea that it's just some guy, right? Um, I mean, that's what makes sense, right? You know, it's it's a man holding up people in an alley for what's in their purse. Like, it's not going to be some super villain, right? Well, and and that's the thing in Batman '89, right? Is it sort of like parallels this, like the Batman and the Joker created each other, and there's this sort of um, symbiosis there. But it's so it's so neat, right? Um, so a couple, like, for, you know, even more contemporary audi- audiences, what I want to kind of draw out is I think the Batman Begins version is very thick, <laughs> right? Like, the Waynes go to see Defleidemos. It has spooky, scary bat, acrobat performers, and that's what scares Bruce, and he runs out of the theater, and that's why his parents get shot. And again, like, I think that that... It's just too heavy-handed, right? And for something to feel especially heavy-handed in, like, a Chris Nolan movie is saying something. <laughs> uh, in that movie, they also have, like, this important scene where he has to go to the sentencing mm-hmm. of the murderer. Right. And he, like, intends to assassinate him at the sentencing. Yeah. Which is pretty extreme. Um, but there's, like... They're trying to, like, do some work to, like, build pathos for the murderer in that scene, too. A little bit. Yeah, yeah. Oh. So, the connection I want to draw from there, because some of that stuff um, gets taken from the detective comic story Batman Year Two, um, which was drawn by Todd McFarlane, of all people, um, which is why Batman's cape is rad in that story. <laughs> um Guy just likes capes. He just likes capes, and I don't blame him. Uh, it's too bad he got stuck drawing Spider-Man for so long. Um, also, in just what is going to be the weirdest, like, 
call out for that that story. There's some graffiti um, that reads Melanie Hart's Al, um, which only the savviest of listeners will know is probably a reference to Weird Al's song Melanie. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in it, uh, like this brutal vigilante from Gotham's past shows up and Batman's like, I have to stop this guy and I'm not strong enough to do it on my own. Um, and he ends up working with the mafia to do it. And he ends up working with Joe Chill. Um, and he grabs, like he has, um, from evidence, I guess he stole it from the GCPD, um, the gun used to kill his parents and then he's going to use it to kill the Reaper, right? And then he's going to use it to kill Joe Chill. Um, and then by the end of the story, he thinks better of it, and his love interest becomes a nun, and he throws the gun in the uh, the foundation of a building that is being built in memoriam to his parents. Because, of course, it's a Batman story. Wow. Yeah. Saying Eddie. it all out loud like that is a little... It's rad. It's a. It's... <laughs> uh, so, Joe Chill killed his parents. Yep. The Joker killed his parents. Is there anyone else who killed his parents? Well, um, that like so when you get into like alternate universe stuff or whatever else, that's what people like to change, right? Like there was a um, there was a novel I read as a kid, and I was probably too young to have read it. Um, Batman the Ultimate Evil by Andrew Vakas and so this is a guy who was like a hobby novelist um, and a full time like children's advocacy lawyer Um, and the story he wrote in was that uh, Martha Wayne was murdered by um, or a hit was put out on her by child traffickers okay yeah why uh, because that was her advocacy work as a rich lady. Okay. And no, it's going to get weirder. Hold on. Um, and Batman finds all this out as he has been like pulling this thread in child trafficking, um, that takes him to Southeast Asia where, man, I, I know Batman's dark, but Jesus, <laughs> it's yeah, it's called the ultimate evil and it's not kidding around. Um, like I said, I was not old enough to address. Like, I had the vaguest idea what what was getting talked about here. Anyway, Batman funds... um, It's not a coup if the citizenry... Anyway, he knocks over a Southeast Asian government. Okay. Glad Chris Nolan didn't read that one. Yeah. (laughs) God. Uh, Lars von Trier's Batman. Um, So, yeah. So, like, that's been a change. Um, Flashpoint Batman is what if um, what if it was Martha and Bruce who had been murdered? So Thomas ends up becoming like basically the Biff Tannen Batman. <laughs> um, like I'm not like he owns a casino. He's just he's a knock. He's a he's a madman. Um, right? So like that's generally how that shifts around. Um, and yeah, it's the idea that gets played with. So the, like the bones are always there, but whether or not for that particular story they want to like tie it up a bit more neatly, they'll say like, oh, this was a, a hit put out on the Waynes or, or whatever else. Hmm. Cool, cool. So are you up for some uh, some critical analysis? Sure. All right. In that case, I want to ask you, mm-hmm. 
Uh, how does Batman's origin story help us understand how, what he does and how he does it? I think the most important aspect of it is that it explains his arrested development. Um, like, and again, this changes depending on like who's telling the story or, or when or whatever. But like the idea of Batman is such a, um, we'll say adolescent or idea is maybe giving it a little too much credence, right? But it is a boy's idea of justice, right? Um, so like this idea that Bruce Wayne, like as a person, um, kind of stopped developing when his parents were murdered, right? And then it, the idea of like, okay, well, I'll put on a costume and punch bad guys in the head until that's not necessary anymore. I think that's what invites us in most, right? Um, is there's this great bit in uh, Dark Knight Returns where like Batman is internally monologuing at Superman and being like, your parents always told you to say yes to anyone with a badge or a flag. My parents taught me something very different, dying in a pool of their own blood. It's that this world only makes sense when you force it to. So I think it's like more than the trauma of it all, it happening when he's a boy makes sense. Like I don't think the story would work if he was even a few years older. So I think that's that's it for me. Hmm. Uh, that makes a lot of sense to me too. Now I never thought about it that way, but it is kind of a a juvenile way of getting justice. And I think like that opens Batman up to criticism from uh, from the general populace, right? Sure. Like Batman is a dumb character because he p- puts on a mask and punches villains instead of using his wealth to create real social change. Right. Which sometimes he also does. Yeah. But um, I think that perhaps that that is... Uh, the Batman is a flawed character. Right. Right? Uh, and that's part of it. It's not supposed to be just awesome that he's doing this. Like, it takes a toll on him. It takes a toll on his relationships. Well, and, and again, he's a character who, like, sometimes is a noir character. And sometimes you have to say, like, okay, in a world where, you know, plant monsters attack Gotham every few weeks, like, the police aren't really equipped for that. Could Batman equip the police to do that? Like... In, in a reality where... Well, that's a whole other bucket of wax, right? I mean, yes and no. I think that... Because um, I think that speaks to, like, that social change question of, like... I think the general populace criticizing the Batman character comes largely from, like, the Batman movies, which are largely insular, right? They usually don't have, like... Like, the Flash usually doesn't show up, right? right. So in a world where there's a guy who can outrun light... Like where where does the like where do ethics fall? Yeah, I'll leave it at that. I think uh, that was a good cast. Yeah. So for you at home, thanks for listening. See you next time. Same battering time. Same battering channel. Your father didn't live to see what you've done to his good name. He'd have died of shame.